I encourage you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be reading from Mark chapter 12 this morning. That's on page 848. 848 if you'd like to use the Bible in front of you. And I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we turn to God's Word together and we read and we study the passage. Every time we open our Bibles, it's we who are coming under the examination of God's Word. We're not just panning for gold, looking for those self-help nuggets wherever they can be found. We are actually, our lives are being informed and shaped by the very Word of God. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we've been walking through the book of Exodus together. We find the grace of God and His provision for His people in the wilderness. But on this resurrection day, we're going to join the church around the world celebrating the life we have in Christ who has... Uh, taken his life up again. And we're reminded that our God is a God not of the dead, but a God of the living. Christ is alive, and those who are in Christ are now alive with him in this moment and forever. And so last week we read from Mark chapter 11, the arrival of King Jesus uh, into the city. And so we're going to read now from Mark 12. We consider the resurrection and that life to come. Just a little, a little more background here. Jesus has entered into Jerusalem for that final time. His death is only a few days away. That was our focus just a couple of nights ago on Good Friday. He's pronounced judgment in the temple and all the, the practices, the fruitless worship that was taking place there. And uh, the religious leaders are now uh, set uh, to get rid of Jesus. Think of how he's embarrassed them. He's gone straight after their own selfishness, their own pride. Uh, He's sort of invaded territory and authority that they they don't want to give up uh, at all. Um, And so earlier in this chapter, the the priests and the scribes, they're taking a shot at Jesus, and the Pharisees give it a try. They come up empty. Now it's the Sadducees' turn uh, here in Mark chapter 12. So I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. And Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. This is the authoritative word of our God that endures forever. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we do thank you for your word to us, that you would speak in a way that we, your people, can understand. Lord, thank you for condescending, for lisping to us in this way. 
that we might know the heart of you, our God. Lord, we ask that you would guide our time in your word now. That you would speak to us, work this truth into our hearts and into our minds. Help us to apply this well in our lives. That you would shift our gaze from the things of earth to the things of heaven. Lord, we rejoice in your word to us, in the living word that is Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. As the weather gets nice, a little warmer, the sun starts coming out, one of the favorite things that my wife and I like to do in weather like this is to go outside and play catch. We may throw a softball back and forth. We like to toss the frisbee. Typically, there's enough time that passes between when we get to do that that we're chasing after the frisbee and the ball more often than we're actually catching it. Um, Maybe you remember... Uh, the t-shirts and the mugs and, and the stickers that said, life is good. Just that phrase, life is good. And, and there used to be, maybe there still is, a, a stick figure throwing a Frisbee with the life is good um, you know, slapped onto it. And I thought, you know, that's, that's a perfect you know, picture for us of, of the good life. And now I think that phrase, keep calm, has taken over. Right? Because we've come to the realization or the perception that maybe life isn't as good as we thought, so keep calm. Everything's going to turn out okay. Um, But as you look around, particularly in American culture, life is pretty good. Um, You know, we will attach that, that slogan, life is good, to just about anything that human beings find enjoyable. And life is good. There are so many things to enjoy. I could ask every one of you what your favorite hobby is, or places that you like to visit, or things that you like to do as a family. Life is good. There are things to learn. Maybe about this time in the season for our our children. We're sick of learning. Um, There are places to visit. Um, There's sports to play. There's food to try. All of these things. But sometimes, yeah, I'll, I'll say most of the time, we're so busy stuffing our faces with the good things of life, we forget about the life to come. Or we're so entrenched just with the busyness of life that we give little mind to the resurrected life. Now, as, even as I say that, I don't want to make a blanket statement that sort of covers everyone. There are some of you here who are really looking forward to putting this tent aside. Being in the presence of King Jesus. It's been a long and difficult journey and you're ready for your faith to be made sight. You may think about heaven often and the life to come. And that is, and you encourage us in this. But for many in our culture, even in the church, we'd rather not think about what comes after death. Because quite frankly, this life is pretty good. And we're, we're afraid of, of losing that. And there's a good many people who will not turn to Christ for that very reason. A good many more who will live this sort of half-hearted Christianity, this apathetic, because they're just not quite sure what God has in store. There's a fear that life after death, which by the way, the vast majority of people believe is true, whether they're Christian or not, that it's going to be somehow unpleasant or you know, different than what we're used to, or, or perhaps worse, 
not so much fun. You know, there's so much of the good life now, we don't want to lose that. So you can have your religion, you can have your perception of heaven, whatever that may be, but I don't want to go there yet. I don't want to miss anything. It's very common. I think if we're willing to go there, it probably resides in all of us. You know, floating around in, in clouds, playing harps. You know, one big church service for all eternity. Eh, maybe that can wait. So this group coming to Jesus, known as the Sadducees, that's where they would camp out. Life is good. Enjoy it while it lasts. You know, take moral responsibility while you can, except they take it a step further and said that the afterlife, well, that's just all baloney. Now, these, these men who were the Sadducees, they were, they were very wealthy. They came from, from priestly families, a little snobbish about the law. So when you put all those things together, it equals not very well liked. They believed that the first five books of the Bible, we know as the Pentateuch, those five books had authority. And so there, because there's no explicit reference to the resurrection in those five books, well then, forget it. There's no resurrection. There's no life after death. And if there is Jesus, well, then we've got a few problems with the law. You know, why don't you try this one on for size? So we see Jesus addressing these uh, wealthy aristocrats. And in doing so, he's going to address our own perceptions, maybe our fears of life and love after death. He says, you've missed it. You've missed the Word of God that you claim to know so well, and you've missed the power of God. So we're going to look at both of those briefly this morning. The Word of God... And the power of God is perceived by these Sadducees and informed by Jesus. And so this group goes after Jesus with the assumption that the conditions and the circumstances of life now do not change in the life to come. And they use the example of the laws we have surrounding marriage we find in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 25 specifically. If a husband and wife have no children, the husband dies then it was the responsibility of that man's brother to take his sister-in-law as a wife so that that family name could continue in Israel. Uh, and so the law didn't you know, originate here with Moses. There are hints of this back in the time of the patriarchs. Uh, we'll see this behind the story of Ruth. Uh, her husband dies. There's no children, so there's a redeemer uh, who has the rights uh, to her as a wife. So what the Sadducees then present to Jesus could theoretically happen in you know, this type of setting, in this monogamous society. A, a, woman, a woman could not be married to seven men at the same time. Praise God for that, right, ladies? Um, and by God's design. So if there is a resurrection and life after death, it's merely, merely an extension the relationships that we enjoy now. And if that's true, then there's a problem. Is, is there polygamy in heaven? How do you reconcile the law with the resurrected existence? And one thing we learn from Jesus as we watch Jesus and listen to Jesus, it is never a good idea to pit Jesus against the Old Testament. 
He knows the law. He has authority over the law. His very words interpret and elevate the law. But notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't go back to Deuteronomy 25 you can say, okay, you know, let, let's try this again. Um, see where you guys misinterpreted this text. He goes after their underlying assumptions about the resurrection. And one of the points he makes is that reference to this levirate marriage, that law doesn't even apply. Marriage and resurrected life, they don't even go together. And that just exposes their ignorance of God's power, the story that he's unveiled. But what does Jesus say? He affirms the resurrection flat out. Do you see that? When they rise from the dead, no ifs, no maybes, no whos. There is a general resurrection from the dead that is assumed for all humanity. And in that resurrection, there will be no continued marriages, no new marriages. And here's where we start to get antsy right? Well, I like marriage. Or I'm looking forward to marriage. I mean, there, there's a love. There, there's an intimacy there that God has designed for marriage that is found nowhere else in creation. I mean, won't we miss it? You hear that argument again from the very beginning? I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to, I don't want to let go of this yet. But Jesus' response here is telling us that we need to start thinking about the resurrected life differently. Life in the glory of heaven as more and not less. More of the pleasures that we experience now. Life after the resurrection will, will add to our experiences in a way that really is unimaginable for us. I mean, when you look at the seeds of the tree, you look at an acorn or you look at the little seed pod of a maple, those little helicopters, you know, when they fall. Can you even envision a full-grown maple when you look at that little seed? No, it's, it's incomprehensible. Our ability to comprehend the glory of heaven and the resurrected state. One author said it's like a baby in the womb dreaming about the Grand Canyon. It's just mind-boggling. So we have marriage here as that entry point we're thinking about something that's quite impossible for us to even comprehend. Just the beginning, a glimpse of what is to come. We're going to enjoy a greater union with Christ. We'll know our spouses, our loved ones, our friends in a deeper way than we have ever known them before. You know, and I don't know how God is going to do this. But marriage, for what it is, marriage as, as that social fabric, that's going to end. I think about the goal of marriage, really twofold, when you, when you narrow it down. Procreation and, and partnership. And after the resurrection, there'll be no more procreating. This context of love and intimacy enjoyed in marriage will be expanded beyond imagination. So you think of the, the companionship and the love, that's going to be enjoyed and experienced by all of the family of God. C.S. Lewis He's talking about this relationship between marriage and the resurrection. He said, I believe heaven will be like a spiritual puberty for us. And that heaven will fulfill desires we don't even know about yet. Desires we don't know about. A newer, deeper level of intimacy than a physical union between husband and wife can only anticipate. 
We won't be deprived of our sexuality. Remember, more, not less, will be overwhelmed by an even greater excitement. Jesus provides a short commentary on that no more marriage language. Uh, He adds it will be like angels in heaven. And folks have done some interesting things uh, with that phrase over the years. Jesus is not saying that we will be angels. Um, Angels are creatures distinct from human beings. We're not going to undergo some sort of metamorphosis and become angels. We won't be bodiless like little ghosts floating around. We will have recognizable bodies. Gendered bodies. They're more beautiful, more glorious, powerful than we've ever known. My friends, in the resurrected life, we may come to see see ourselves for the first time the way God really sees us. How He sees us through Christ. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body, Paul says. Our bodies will be raised glorious. In a state that we cannot fathom. 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you know, stop speculating about the resurrected body. It's too marvelous to comprehend. Our earthly bodies are unique and glorious in their own way, but our heavenly bodies, unique and glorious in another realm altogether. So, whatever you may think, when you look in the mirror right now, you need to know that your resurrected body will be beautiful beyond compare. I mean, we, we see and we feel with every passing day the limitations of our bodies. Brothers and sisters, take courage. Rest today knowing that, that beauty is not ultimately in the eye of the beholder. Beauty is in the eye of the Creator. Both Augustine and Jonathan Edwards, two smart guys, very different time periods, they believed that our resurrected bodies would mirror the days of our prime. Now, I'm not, that sounds really good. <laughs> I'm not quite sure if we have that, that level of insight or what season that prime may be. Um, but your resurrected body will not disappoint you. And it's not going to disappoint anyone else either. Some have concluded uh, these words, like the angels, that will be without gender. We won't be male or female in heaven. That is in no way consistent with the biblical witness. Uh, Jesus himself, the first fruit of the resurrected glory, he was male after his resurrection. 1 John 3, it says that we will be raised like him, not all males, but perfect and glorious, incorruptible like he is. So in this glorified existence, we'll be like the angels who do not procreate and don't die. You know, this means something else uh, very practically. I can only say just a little bit on this, but you know, something that's dominating the conversation around us. It means that all this gender confusion that's around us, the, the hyper-accommodation to such confusion over sexual identity, who uses what bathroom and what locker rooms and what school and what store, all those things, that will all be gone. We will be identified as the beautiful males and females that God has made us to be. Even if that understanding is 
is twisted and confused right now in the shadow of the curse. There are many who struggle with this, genuinely struggle. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and there's just there's confusion around sexual orientation. Know that it will not always be so. There will be no confusion in resurrected glory. So let me encourage you to hold on. Hold on in obedience to Christ who is making all things new and has proven it with the empty tomb. So the ones questioning Jesus, they didn't understand the Scriptures. They did not know the power of God. And the way that Jesus shows them this, uh, it's really it's tactful and it's kind of striking. He takes them back to part of the Old Testament that they know and acknowledge as authoritative. It's really kind of funny how we read this. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in that passage about the bush, I mean, that'd be like, you know, walking into a bank or walking up to David Lucas and saying, hey, do you know anything about financial planning? Or going up to Micah as a doctor. Do you know anything about the human body? I mean, this is, these men knew this passage backward and forward. They were the experts on Exodus 3 that Jesus is, is referring to. But they have not understood the power of the one who speaks in that passage. This is the Lord. This is the self-existent creator and sustainer of all things. The covenant-making God. Covenant-keeping God. In the passage Jesus takes them to, the Lord is speaking to a very doubting Moses. And He's reminding Moses of his character. He is the great I Am. He is ever faithful to His promises from one generation to the next. And not even death can eliminate that. Not even death can sever his control and deliverance on those promises. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Not I was or I hope to be again, but I am. So God does not make promises to the dead, but to the living. God is identifying himself as the one who is faithful to the promises, to those who are very much alive. So the Sadducees assumed that the law and a human relationship remain unchanged in the world to come. Whatever that might look like. Which actually denied the Lord of His power and control over the grave. So do you see the danger that they're in here? They are denying God of His very identity. That He actually does have, if He is the God of the covenant, and he is going to enjoy life with his people forever, then he's quite capable of raising the dead into an existence different than what we know now. So God is not God. Elohim Adonai is not the great I am if there is no resurrection. We can see now why Jesus just slams the door on him. You are quite wrong. You have denied the very character of God with this line of questioning. So brothers and sisters, you and I need to be reminded of this in in times of trouble, uncertainty, maybe flat out refusal of what's going on in life, the circumstances of life. We need to be reminded of who God is. The great I am, faithful to every one of His promises. That He's in control of every aspect of your life. 
Maybe, maybe there's, there's fears, challenges you have right now at home or at work. He knows them fully. He's faithfully governing your steps, guiding you through them to show you more of yourself that you might see His glory. So rest in His faithfulness. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're still very much Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who has delivered them, His faithfulness to them, is His faithfulness to you. He will deliver you. It's also important for us to see how Jesus argues this case using the written Word of God. Actually, just one verse in the Old Testament. Jesus shows complete trust in the Scriptures. Down to some pretty small details. So we need to take the teaching of the Bible, the authority of God's Word, seriously. Uh, there's a, a recent survey. About 24% of professing Christians, so about one in four of those who claim Christ and own a Bible will never open that Bible. It just sits on a shelf, sits in a drawer. You know, we've got 80 to 90 people in here maybe. Simple math. A good number of us won't open our Bibles tomorrow or in this week, maybe even in this year. So may the attitude and words of Jesus help us to reconsider that. To trust in the living Word of God. Drink deeply from that Word. God makes promises to the living. And the final answer to the Sadducees, the final answer to any who doubt or downplay the resurrection is found in the very life of Jesus. You know, they may not have been convinced by His authority. They may not have been convinced by His teaching. But on this very next Sunday morning, this Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. No more talk of resurrection. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So our God is characterized by life. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And He will give life to your mortal body through that same Spirit. How essential the resurrection is to our hope as God's covenant people. It's essential. I mean, what, what hope do the Sadducees have? You know, why be so religious and intent on living a moral life if there is no resurrection? I mean, if there's no life after death, then live it up. Nothing beyond the grave. This is all there is. This is all that, that matters, what feels good right now. Grab all you can. But it's all without hope. Maybe you've heard the uh, children's song. I don't know if I can sing it. I can try. Um, I don't want to be a sad, you see, because they're so sad, you see. I don't want to be a sad, you see. Heard that? Um, there's some deep truth to that. How sad it would be. How hopeless without the empty tomb, without the joy of heaven that awaits. Great reformer John Calvin, he believed. So he says, No one has made progress in the school of Christ who does not joyfully await the day of death and final resurrection. Are you ready? Have you given your life fully to Christ? 
who's infinitely trustworthy. It's because of the resurrection that we have hope. Hope that even in the, the hardest times, the most challenging of circumstances, that good will come. Rejoice that this isn't all there is. Jesus is alive. God has raised Him from the dead. The best is yet to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, our resurrected King, we rejoice that You have claimed victory over the grave, the hope that is ours in this very moment and every day. Lord, I think how beautiful was that news that the woman brought, the the women brought in that early morning that the tomb was empty, that they had seen the Lord, that hope was restored. Grant us, Lord, uh, that renewed hope and joy in our Savior and the resurrected life to come. And we pray this all in His name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.